like how Wirecast tells me, like, if it's streaming, it's streaming. Zoom, it's like, eh, we're setting it up. We're thinking about it. We don't know what we want to do. We might do it. We might feel like it. Okay. Something happened. Oh, you're live. Yay, we're live. We're live. We're live. Awesome. Well, let's get started. It is the March edition of Bet's Business Book Club, where we are reading Failing Forward by John C. Maxwell. Um, if anyone saw my video from a couple weeks ago when I was super excited about how many flags I put in my book, <laughs> I lost my book. <laughs> I lost it in my house, so I have one flag. <laughs> I didn't want to go back and reread the whole thing. Um, so anyone have any uh, strong feelings any way, any direction about this book? Well, <laughs> I've been a reader of like self um, help books for a long time. And so after a while, they all started getting repetitive. And yeah. uh, I kind of found his a little weak in compared to you know, what I've read. But I like the concept of le uh, legitimizing mistakes as a learning process. Yeah, I, I definitely was very into the book in the beginning, and then it did kind of get repetitive. Yeah. Um, I think my favorite thing that he talks about is like reframing your idea of what is a failure versus what is success. Taking it from one who's been reframing for many years is <laughs> very good advice. It is very good advice because, and especially easy, I think, with like social media and whatever to compare yourself unfairly to what's really not even real right like nothing online is real <laughs> but it can make you feel like oh i'm a failure because i don't i don't have that yacht i don't have that fancy car i didn't go on this vacation and do whatever it's like but is that was that important to you did you want to do that was it a goal and it's about reframing the i'm a failure and realizing oh that was a failure it's not directly tied to my self-worth. And I think that's really important too. Yo, that was his number three, remove you from failure, failure, which I really like that because I often feel like I fail at something, it is my fault and I am the failure, not something just didn't go right. I liked that uh, part where he had the chart, the T-chart and it was saying, uh, think of the last time you failed and compare it to which side and did you did you fail forward or did you fail backwards and it was odd because I chose from both sides <laughs> depending so I just think it depends on the failure and the emotions attached to it because sometimes I can let it roll off me and be like oh everything's fine I'm failing forward and other times not so much um, but I do think it was really overall a good book and I learned a lot and applied it in my life. One thing I found that I've always used even before I read the book as a teacher, students fail all the time. They fail a quiz. They don't get their math homework right. I, I was teaching fashion design. Kids can't, don't get things to fit them correctly or they can't thread the sewing machine correctly. 
And I've always said to them, there really aren't any mistakes. Everything is a learning opportunity. And he really emphasized that. And I've emphasized that too, because like, I like to crochet. I know that crochets, I taught her. So <laughs> I'm sitting there and I'm looking at, I made a hat for, and I'm looking at it. There's a hole in the middle of it. How in the world is there a hole in the middle? Of I'm not taking the entire hat apart to fix this hole. So am I a failure? Well, I failed to make that stitch. I have a hole. Now I'm going to learn how to fix that hole without taking everything apart. And the four, the five of us are now sworn to secrecy. You know, that's that. The entire internet. <laughs> the Secrets Act from the Pentagon. You know what, Can't tell me. anybody. <laughs> What's neat about that, uh, so yeah, I crochet a lot of stuff. There's actually a term in crocheting, maybe for knitting also, when you screw something up and you have to undo it all. It's called frogging. I don't know where this term comes from, but I see it online. All they're like, I had to frog this whole thing like five times. Are you a failure because you had to restart? No, you got it right eventually, right? So who cares? Um, sometimes it doesn't really matter. It makes it look like it was made by a human and not a computer or not a robot, you know? Yeah. I, I always look, oh, okay, well, it shows that it was handmade. All right. I, as long as I can fix it and I don't hear, um, Safa, there's a hole in my hat, you know, I'm okay. <laughs> Bob Ross is good at failing forward if you watch his videos. Happy trees. Oh. Happy trees, right. You take your mistake. Right. You take your mistake and you turn it into a positive, which I think he also talked like find the benefit in every bad experience, right? You, there's got to be something good somewhere. Like if nothing else, you have a bad experience, you have a good story. So like, how does this apply to business? How does it apply to business? Well, so my motto this year, uh, and it, it was announced to the world, I was on a podcast for the um, Sticky Brand Lab. I said, my motto this year is make different mistakes, right? <laughs> Which is basically like, keep failing over and over and over again <laughs> because you gotta you have to um learn from a bad experience and make it a good experience right like we've been having a lot of audio <laughs> issues all year with our various and assorted shows but each time is a different problem like we we kind of tweak stuff and try again and it's like oh something still didn't work but it was a different mistake it's a different problem. We don't scrap the whole program because it's a failure. I'm not like, oh, I can't figure out audio engineering. I'm a failure. This is like, I'm going to try it again. and try to change something, do something different. Maybe be a little scientific, like change one thing at a time and see if that's what makes it go. And it's the same for any process, right? Any processes should be iterative like that. Like find what breaks, redo, change, change one thing maybe, and uh, try it again and keep doing it until you get it to where you want it to be. Whatever the process is, life, business, children. So you restart them. You also have Alex, well, he just went off. But you also have Alex to, you know, to help you. Yeah, he helps. I mean, I think he helps get it like fixed faster, but we still have to screw it up. And I screw it up on my own. Sometimes I fix it on my own. It is helpful, I think, uh, if you have other people around. And uh, me. Like Jordan. <laughs> Furiously texting me when stuff isn't working. Um, I'm going to ask Jordan for help when I need help from them. <laughs> <laughs> I also, I like how he talked about, like, uh, say goodbye to yesterday. Or, like, don't dwell on your past things. Because I think that's, that can hold you back so much. Mm. Yeah. 
He's like, how many of us think about um, like things that happen to you in middle school or high school? You know, you're like, oh. I choose not to. <laughs> I think in that regard, I'm very good at failing forward. Um, just leave it behind and don't relate to that person. That person is no longer me. Mm. And that's kind of how I have to live. Yeah, evolution, right? Evolution. Or you can uh, put it into uh, a humorous kind of thing. Like when I was in college, I had a uh, interior design teacher who told me that I had very cheap taste and I didn't know how to put things together. And so whenever I'm buying something and I look at the price tag and it's well out of my range, I go, oh, see, there's my cheap taste. What can I say? And I always make, I make a joke out of it, but it really, it's it, it yeah. stuck, you know, it really has stuck to me. You know, we redid our kitchen quite a few years ago and um, I got things that, you know, we had a budget and I had to stay within the budget but I stretched it as far as I could and people come in and they go, wow, who was the designer that did your kitchen? I go, well, I did. They go, oh, that must cost your fortune. Mm, not really, you know, because I have cheap taste. What can I tell you? <laughs> yeah, that actually reminds me of a different book I read. It was uh, something dark chaser, light chaser. I don't know. I'll comment it later, but it was interesting. She talks about taking the things that you hate about yourself or the things that you don't accept about yourself and finding that positive within it. And so if somebody calls you the B word, eventually <laughs> you learn and you reclaim it and you're like, hell yeah, I'm a, you know, and I get stuff done, you know, cause once you claim it, it can't hurt you. All right, Alex so, raised his hand. He has something to say. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm trying to stay muted cause I'm kind of outdoors right now. Uh, but that's a but, cool background. You know, yeah, thank you. I think one of the most interesting, you know, early on, everything I did career-wise was pretty straightforward. You know, like the search engine optimization, you change stuff each month and you saw what was working. But almost all the time, things were upward. You'd have the occasional bad month. But as things got broader, you find yourself, you know, found myself professionally having much wider range of things I had to handle. Like most challenging, you know, and... You know, one of the things with marketing is it's all very numbers and data driven. Well, what do you do when the data's wrong? And you get in somewhere and you've made all these assumptions based on that. And really all of a sudden, everything you're doing is wrong. Everything's a mistake. Every project's a failure. And you just have to kind of keep rolling forward and you just keep, you know, the keep making new mistakes. Like everything's a debacle. Like, uh, like all of a sudden ended up doing special events because we got, a good deal on sponsoring one of these things. I, none of us knew how to do events, but we obviously couldn't bring in an event company that would have cost three times what the sponsorship cost. So we just kind of figured it out. And the first time we just kind of hired someone we knew. And then the next time we sent out an email and hired from our whole team. And, you know, we were just kind of winging it all the way. And eventually you figured out, okay, well, we all look like we're the wait staff. Okay, let's go fix that. Okay, now we look like we're an actual put together team. And after, you know, eight or nine times of just mistake after mistake, or we got to measure this, we didn't bring this, or we brought the wrong thing. Like it's a nightmare, but you know, over time you just, you get better and figure it out. But if you just decide after one try, it didn't work, we didn't make our number, then you'll never figure anything out. And that's really where the growth and the opportunity happens. And it only happens through failure, which 
you know, this and every other book is kind of consistent on because, you know, if you only can do things you get right on the first try, you can't do anything. Yeah. And he talked about that with the Coca-Cola when they came out with the new Coke and it was this massive million dollar failure, um, if not more than that. But when they came back with the classic Coca-Cola, everybody went crazy for it and they made 10 times the amount of money they would have made if they had not made that mistake. So I think that's like kind of sums up what you were saying, Alex. It's like an engineered failure almost. Like they did it on purpose. It's like the, that yeah. saying, like, no publicity is bad publicity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like your comeback story. Everybody loves an underdog. Right? Like uh, Reese's peanut butter cups. Last year was the last year they were making them. They weren't going to make them anymore. And it was all over the TV. Oh, you better buy it now because they're not going to be gone. And then it was like a ha-ha, we fooled you kind of thing. I don't remember that. I read that their sales were down. So that's what they did to boost their sales. Right. Nothing like creating a false market shortage. Right. <laughs> and in this world, you know, they let everyone know now. There will be no more Bat Hotchburger, everybody. <laughs> After this month, it'll be might not be. I don't know. Depends if they keep moving tax deadlines on me. (laughs) You know, it's funny. You know, who who really pioneered that false shortage was Nintendo. Mm -hmm. Uh, If look back in the eighties, if you read, I think the book is oh, Game Over, maybe Uh, the story of you know Nintendo's rise in the eighties. They would absolutely engineer shortages of their hot game because then people would run out. Super Mario Brothers 3 was the, the pinnacle of this. So they intentionally undershipped it. Everyone ran out that day. It was the hot Christmas gift. And what did you do if you didn't get that? Well, you bought a different Nintendo game. So they were able to move their sales to their less popular. And then everyone bought Super Mario Brothers 3 when it came out anyway. And it was really that kind of pioneering of using a shortage to create demand. And in the world of software, it's totally artificial, right? Like there's no limit to how many times you can copy things. I guess a little bit more with chips, right? Like they had to manufacture them. But it wasn't like they were hand building a world and you had to go and like grow trees or anything you know you just own the chip and but on its way but you know that you don't run out of these things but you create the shortage of it and it created runs on everything and one of the challenges nintendo had as everything moved to download is they lost that entire angle of controlling their distribution mm. yeah because you could just hop on and get whatever although they managed, and I don't know if it was engineered or not, but the Switch, like they had the best timing. They put out the Switch, the world shut down. We're all like hunting for a Nintendo Switch. I bought one on OfferUp or something and paid more than retail because we were just like desperate to get them and they couldn't get them to the stores. I don't know if it was real or engineered shortages or what, but it was crazy like a year ago up to that are they ever like yeah we engineered this or is it all just like hearsay i don't know at this point they can just blame covid be like oh covid couldn't get anything out of manufactured out of asia shipped over to the u.s there was it was a little bit real someone i know doing distribution in miami is like their message still says like oh yes because of covid delays i'm like nobody believes you i'm like go fix like what do you guys there isn't a person in the country that believes your Miami company is being imposed by like COVID. Yeah. Right. People are like, still using that like, as an example. If you were LA or San Francisco, I'd be like, oh yeah, you've got like four people in the warehouse. It's like, it's not working here. So it's like, go fix your system. They're like, all right. So it's like, take the message off, go fix the thing. Right. Yeah. It's like um, buying yarn at Joann's or Michael's. They're always out of yarn. 
but if you go to Hobby Lobby, they have so much yarn that you can't decide which one you want. Why? You know? Mm. Too many choices. Mm. I think that's a different book. <laughs> how, to, how to position <laughs> that, things that the right amount of choices. Let and Alex write that book. She's Too many choices. <laughs> uh, a couple other things that I liked that you talked about. Change your, uh, change your response to failure by accepting responsibility. Oh, because if it's not your own, within your control, or you can't fix it, you can say like, things happened to me. Like, oh, what was me? You know, this happened to me. It's like, but if you have control and you say, okay, this was my doing, like I screwed this up, but I can fix it at the mm -hmm. same time. Claiming your part is what we call it. Claiming your part. But it's real. It's real, 100%. That's how you get over resentments. That's how you get over it anything negative in life is seeing your part in it and um learning how to move on from there move forward right because if you're the victim there's nothing to fix right and then you then you just kind of keep failing in the same spot but you know it's funny every time like the event one was i think the best learning and uh i think jordan got to see from the opposite side like us thinking like acting like we knew what we were doing but we were brutal when we would get in the room and it was like, there is no defending. It is everyone bring up the process. People were miserable at the end of like a 45 minute postmortem, but we got so much better so quickly because you own your failure. And it's like, yeah, I did that. I'll fix that next time. And just once you got into the habit of doing that, instead of making excuses, you're able to get, you're, you're able to go forward, but you can't, if you're like, Oh, this happened to like, yeah, bad weather happened. Well, we weren't prepared for it. Where was the tent? Where was the alternative? Where was the backup plan? Where was the rain gear? You know? To the point where when somebody would start to be like, we did really good and da da da, Alex would be like, no, we didn't. <laughs> Stop saying those things. <laughs> like, it's like, okay, Alex, let it, let them live a little. And he would, but it was just funny because it's true. We can't just give ourselves pats on the back all the time. We have to own our failures and we have to move forward. Because if we just say, good job, you're so great. Oh my gosh, then nothing happens. Nothing gets better. I think well, that's- for from Aaron C to Riptide, how different were things? Yes. Very different. <laughs> and from one Riptide to the next, I wasn't at Aaron C, but I, I saw the transformation. I was like, holy cow. <laughs> had, uh, the, what, what were they? The giant billboards? The videos? Those were cool. There was a lot of cool stuff. I was on a big screen. <laughs> it was very cool. So another thing I like in here is says, uh, get over yourself everyone else has. <laughs> and you really can't take yourself so seriously i mean maybe if you're like a brain surgeon maybe like take that seriously but most of what all of us do is not that serious <laughs> yeah it goes back to but like oh good what what were you gonna say oh i was gonna say it goes back to like the four agreements don't take everything so personally don't take yourself so seriously it's just a problem like you're not responsible for the problem, but you are responsible for the solution. So just I like that. Go yeah. with the solution. I like that. I mean, what I liked actually about this book is it made me see connections to a lot of other stuff that we read before. Um, like the take action to reduce your fear. That was totally um, five second rule, right? It was, how do you make yourself do it when you can't? You do the five, four, three, two, one, take action. So it kind of ties nicely into what he's saying. Um, 
there was something else that made me think of another book. Actually, it wasn't a book club book. There's this book I read uh, long ago by Carol Dweck called Mindset that maybe we should add it to the list. It's a fantastic book. She talks about like being having a closed mindset versus open mindset. And if you're able to accept the responsibility on yourself for your failures and, and change, that is absolutely an open mindset where you are open to growth and open to making mistakes and taking risks and trying things. Whereas if you have a closed mindset, you're like, I'm only going to do what I know I can do and I'm going to stay safe and, and comfortable and there will be no growth. And this is just where I'm going to stay in my little bubble. So it really, I thought it made me think a lot about that particular book. Yeah. And I think the thing about staying the same and staying in your comfort zone is people assume like nothing's going to change. I'll be safe. And it's like, no, change is inevitable. Failure is inevitable. It's going to happen with or without your action. So do something. Yeah, evolve or die, because whether or not you change, external factors are going to change. Like COVID, how many right. people suddenly had to switch to an online business, whereas before they never thought of it or didn't have to, like they didn't have to invest in that technology or learn it or whatever. It was actually great for me because for years and years, I've been a very in the cloud online virtual CPA firm, which in South Florida was highly unusual. If you go out west, California, New York, you'll find it. But down here, it was like crazy. There were so many brick and mortar accountants that when they had to shut everything down, they couldn't operate. And I was like, okay, I'm open. <laughs> Come to me. <laughs> uh, one a good example of that. One of the discussions on Twitter in the Miami tech world that we've all been watching is, you know, someone posts about Clubhouse and they're like, I just realized I haven't opened Clubhouse since I moved to Miami three weeks ago. And all his friends in San Francisco are still on there. And there's like a, a why and you see it's dropping off. But it's like, well, what's going on? It's like, well, Clubhouse is living in the world of San Francisco where everyone's still home all the time. Meanwhile, he's in Miami and he's out at the beach and he's on a boat and he's out to dinner and whatever. And he's like, no, he's not sitting at home at seven o'clock to use an app that requires his full attention. Might throw a yeah. podcast gym but certainly isn't hopping on these discussions and what's interesting is you know talking about what do they need to do well if people are back to driving to work you need it to integrate with carplay and android's thing you need to be able to do this you know there's no computer app well you have your phone well if i'm at home sure i can throw my phone on the desk but if i'm at the office what am i i can't have my airpods connected to my phone and not be able to access my computer so if it's it's one or the other you know, so all of a sudden, it's like not prepared for the change because, you know, and you watch like Clubhouse numbers have plummeted and they don't know why. And part of it is as other areas don't look like them, yeah. you know, or people that have moved here and they're like, what do you mean? I can't just rely on Yelp. That'll tell me everything about a restaurant. It's like nobody here has ever used Yelp. Those are all fake reviews. Like, what are you going <laughs> to I was talking to somebody earlier today about moving to Florida and I gave the example when we, when we moved to Florida. 14 years ago from Boston that was such a high-tech city like 17 cosmo.com or whatever but 17 years whatever I can't do math apparently uh, <laughs> we could order like toothpaste online and we moved to Florida you couldn't find a restaurant menu online like forget order online I was like oh it's the dark ages here <laughs> but eventually they had to evolve you know they had a they had to develop websites and this kind of stuff. Um, I think the thing that's interesting with Clubhouse, though, I think they're a little bit having like the, they were a new shiny thing. 
and people are getting over it already. Like, I think that's part of it that it's not picking up so much. Um, I thought it was cool for very niche things. Like if other accounting people I know that live in other areas would hop on or like profit first where a bunch of us are trying to get together to do some like a channel or something. But when I would hop into some of those random like business advice, business advice, like coaching, whatever. And they would just have whoever is not on the panel asking their stupid question. I was like, I cannot listen to this. <laughs> it's where the lack of editing and it being all live produced. <laughs> Sometimes not a good thing. <laughs> but also you can't throw Clubhouse on in the background, right? Like you need to be in the app. You need to be engaged. You need to be hitting buttons. Like it's not, it's designed for people that are like sitting home on their phone which yeah. if you don't live in California or New York, which I realize is like 20% of the country, but the other 80% aren't living that way anymore. Yeah. Also, I think the people who spend a lot of time on phones, like the young the kids these days, no interest in this at all. None. They're like, what's Clubhouse? It's like more of a boomer thing than Facebook even. To be honest, I don't know what Clubhouse is. <laughs> See, yeah. That's what I'm saying. Interestingly enough, though, in the martial arts world and the fitness world, it has gone all Zoom now. And the most interesting thing about it is you can train with some like, you know, Tai Chi master in China via Zoom. And it's like utterly amazing, <laughs> which I mean, it's crazy. That's part of that evolution, that like forced evolution. You, you had to embrace it or you were like behind. That's what the future is going to be is everything's going to be online because who knows how many more pandemics we're going to be in before the end of my lifetime with the state of the world. Let's be You're honest. Probably okay. It apparently happens once every hundred years. Yeah, well, there's no arguments. Huh? What well, else? About every four years you get a pandemic out of China. The reaction to this was un unseen before. But a pandemic's real. Jordan's right. She's going to see this a whole bunch. And, yeah. there, and there's other things that happen, right? So I think that being online would be the most, the easiest, right? So I think that every business could prepare for this future, which might look like a failure, but it doesn't have to. And, you know, Bet and I were talking about the, that the other day with this online vet for Zula. <laughs> And it was like, okay, like, let's see, how would this play out? Cause like you were saying with the uh, gym and stuff, but certain things you have to go in person. So I think it would be a challenge for those businesses to adapt their company to fit the needs of the future, which is find out a way to have a vet visit and figure out the heartworms from the computer screen. Right, and at some point somebody will you know, figure out, oh, if I develop a test that's just like a saliva test or a poop test or something that a pet owner could easily obtain or like a piece of hair or something and send it to a lab, you might not need it. You might not need that physical exactly. interaction, but there's, there's probably some industries where you, you can't hundred percent eliminate like medicine, veterinary, dentistry. <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do remote dentistry. <laughs> Uh, how many designer mask then, companies did we see pop up in the last eight months? Yeah. Necessity, mother of invention, right? I didn't catch that, but now I didn't hear him, yeah. 
Oh, the how many designer mask companies uh, popped designer, up? Yeah. Oh, true. And wasn't that on what was it? Uh, the invention show. Shark Tank. Shark Tank. Yeah, it was on Shark Tank that this lady came in and she had these like designer masks with these funny faces, and they were like, "This is terrible, bad idea, go away." And it's like, "Well, this didn't age well. <laughs> Look <laughs> now, you know." So it's crazy the way times change and how certain inventions. I made a comment last year when uh, our stage combat group, when someone wanted to order masks with our logo, and I was like. We're not gonna need these in a couple months. Oh, was I wrong? <laughs> yeah, it's like I'm not gonna buy a mask. That's awful. It's so dumb. And now I have like a hundred. Right. <laughs> the um the red carpet. I mean, they're wearing designer gowns with a matching design the mask. The whole new industry. But what I found interesting, like even in the fitness world, you see that new Pelon thing where you have the bicycle on the screen and they have like a I mean, it's like amazing. What about the mirror? Or the mirror, which is- Oh yeah, that thing looks cool. But- Weights that are like, you can just change the buttons and it- like, Do a different exercise routine. But what I'm finding now in like the nutritional industry and the health industry, they have suddenly a plethora of becoming an online coach, whether it's uh, nutrition, wellness, it's like totally, amazing and i guess it's the resiliency of like well how do we deal with this situation out of the book what i got was the concept of resiliency which has always been in my mindset but it's the fact that you know you've got to be able to switch on a dime to deal with whatever comes on so be very agile yeah yeah it's but, also making us very lazy yes because that's the only... if you if you were going to take a class somewhere whether it's a physical class or an intellectual class, and you had to get up and get in your car and drive over there and park and go in and blah, blah, blah. And if you were in charge and you had to set up and be there early, now you don't do anything. <laughs> now you can just say, okay, we're going to have uh, uh, a wine and cheese. <laughs> oh, okay, have your wine and cheese ready. What what kind did you bring this time? You know, And then you get on Zoom and talk about it. You know? Well, I think that was also part of why Clubhouse got uh, a bit of popularity is how many people want to be like hammer ready all the time to be on Zoom, whereas this was like no picture at all. It was only audio. Oh, really? And once you have a phone, you know, who cares, right? You, it just has audio built in. It's part of the capability or it's a very bad phone. Uh, so it, I think it, we had that like Zoom fatigue, I guess, of just all the time, everything online. And this was like a little bit of a break where you didn't have to be dressed from the waist up, <laughs> do your makeup and your hair and whatever. <laughs> we have a thing uh, with uh, Friday night and Saturday morning services, since we're conservative, on Zoom. And they made it that if you don't have, if we don't, if we don't see you on camera, you're not counted. Oh, <laughs> that's like the schools. The schools were doing that with the kids. Like we won't count your attendance if we don't see you. Yeah. I think yeah someone got like in trouble at one of these zoom meetings for work they were told they need to have their camera on right because so it's like be engaged you know be here in this moment with us and depending, depending on what we're doing and health wise and stuff sometimes we're on but we're not uh on we just have our name picture whatever on you know yep. but, but I, a lot i, I think 
say something. I was waving goodbye. Bye. Yep. <laughs> Bye, Alex. I don't know. One thing I wanted to bring up, I know you want to end soon, but uh, he brought up about procrastination and how procrastination is a failure. And I went, really? I'm like the top procrastinator that I know. I was supposed to be the president of the procrastination club, but I never got around to sending in my paperwork, you know? So, but then I thought, gee, that's because I procrastinated. But uh, I'm such a big procrastinator. And what you had said before about him, like the countdown, five, four, three, two, one, do it. You know, sometimes I, when I have to call somebody or make an arrangement for something and I just don't want to do it, I go, okay, five, four, three, two, one, do it. You know, so there are things in the book that are helpful, at least. Yeah. You know. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. I would read other stuff by him. I, I liked his writing, even if it got repetitive. I thought he had a good message overall. I'm actually going to make my children read this, start with Brock. Yeah. Because yeah. I think if you can figure out some of what he's talking about early on, and you don't have to undo bad thought patterns and internal dialogue and that kind of stuff when you're young. Okay. Yeah. Just think of how much more successful you are because you're, you're okay with the failures. You're okay with the taking risks. Actually, the one who really needs to read it is Debbie, but it might be a little over her head. But then it's bad because you're like, you didn't clean your room. And he's like, mom, failing forward. It's all good. <laughs> I'll do better next time. <laughs> you, know, you know what? There's always a smart one. <laughs> and Alex, not on your but not, not, not meaning him, but there's always a smart one. You know, they always learn how to do things. But I think it's really important to know that like if people are teasing you and stuff that you don't have to listen to that mm. you know that it's okay if you shut them down you know that they're the ones that are wrong you're not making it's not a mistake to not listen to them you know but i think totally it's needed it's good but i think they have to read it with uh, a parent you know what? or you know a caretaker a parent somebody who can um they can have discussions about each chapter with you know so they know yeah. how to apply it yeah i agree all right i think i think we beat this to death <laughs> it was it, it was a great book for discussing though because there was so much in there that you could go down so many tangents um april book club it's a tiny tiny short book <laughs> no one has any excuse to not get through it i actually read it before so I'm cheating a little, but it's because it's in the middle of tax season. Uh, it's called The Go-Giver by Bob Berg. It, um, it's like Go-Giver, The Go-Giver. It's uh, kind of a parable-ish type illustrative story to make his point. Um, but it's a short book. It's got a fantastic message. It won't, it probably won't be a super long book club meeting, but it's a great little book. You know if it's available on Kindle? I'm sure it's not. It's not that new. I'm sure, you can find it. Bob Burke. Bob Burke. Bob Burke. B U R G. Bob Burke. I think he lives in Florida too. Ooh. Maybe you can get him to come on. I think I'd have to have more people. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him that you'll be glad to have him on if he brings uh, ten people with him. <laughs> And two of them have to be uh, looking for a new account. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please bring a prospect or five with you. <laughs> All right. And with that, I'm going to stop the Facebook stream. Thank you, everybody. Jordan, so good. Nice meeting you.
nice to meet you guys. Thank See you, you next month. Yeah. Yeah. It's not before. Okay. <laughs> Bye.